Well, welcome 11 o'clock service. How we doing? You guys got extra sleep? That's what I'm talking about down here. Students, thank you very much. Hey, so good to have you guys with us. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say welcome to you, those in this room. I want to say welcome to those watching online today. And a special shout out to our guests. Hey, I got to do this. I typically wouldn't do this because I don't like embarrassing anybody. But how many of you guys were with us for the first time last Sunday on Easter? How many of you guys were with us for the first time? couple in here. All right, awesome. Well, thanks for coming back. Appreciate you coming and giving us another shot. Hopefully that, yeah, we'll applaud. Sure, let's go for it. Somebody started a, sla- a slow clap. You got to get it going. That's good. That's good. Hey, uh, we're really, we really are excited that you're uh, joining us today. And I do have a few numbers that I want to celebrate with you. And one of the things you need to know about us, if you are new, like numbers don't define us, but they are important. And the reason that we say numbers are important is because every number has a name. Every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And so to say that, I now will say that we had the biggest attendance that we've ever had at Trace. Last Sunday, 735 people came to Trace to celebrate our risen Lord with us. But the bigger number, or I should say the better number to celebrate is that we had 16 people be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ last week. Yes. We've got several sayings around here. Another one is uh, every life changed for Jesus is worth celebrating. And so don't ever let that get old. Every time someone submits their life to Jesus, we're going to celebrate it around here because it really is why we do what we do. Now, I want to catch some of you up to speed because there is one last number that I want to celebrate with you. And so if you are new here, this is going to be redundant for some of you, but just stay with me. Uh, A couple months ago, we were given a gift, a very big gift. And the owners of this um, entire uh, building gave us 4,500 square feet that's adjacent to our children's ministry right now. And it came at a very opportune time because we were running out of space. And so we were excited. And that just doesn't happen in the commercial, you know, real estate world. So they gave us 4,500 square feet. And so then we had to come up with the money to renovate that space. And so I told many of you, if you were here, you know that there was a church down in Arizona that said, hey, uh, here's what we'll do. We're going to give you guys $25,000, but we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to match it. And so if you can get your congregation to give twenty-five dollars we'll match up to $25,000. So we came to you guys and said, hey, would you take on the challenge with us? And so we did a special Easter offering asking everyone to give above and beyond what they would typically give to ho- in hopes to raise 25000 So I'm very pleased to tell you today the number is $25,301.50. So thank you so much. <clears throat> Let me add a little bonus on that. There's a church that both Corey and I came from down in Arizona who found out about this and said, you know what, we're in too. We'll give you another $25,000. And so... Um, the, the entire goal really to renovate the space is actually a hundred thousand is how much it's going to cost around about. And so we just need to, you guys give another 25, like right now, that's it. Just make this happen. So uh, usher, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Here's what we are doing. I went back to one of our supporting churches and when you plan a new church, you get supporting churches as kind of part of the process. And I went back to one of our supporting churches back in Louisville, Kentucky, a church called Southeast Christian Church, very generous church. And uh, I have submitted to them what we're trying to accomplish. And so they're going to be having a meeting this month uh, to see if they want to give us that last $25,000. But to date, we have raised 75000 towards the 100000 So one more time, can we just say yay God uh, for what he's doing here? Well, today we're continuing in this series called Messy Grace, and we kicked this series off a few weeks ago, and we talked about how this is going to be a messy church, and the reason it's going to be a messy church is because we want to be a church of transparency. None of us have it figured out. None of us have really clean lives, and so if we actually bring our mess to the table and expose it, God can actually do something with it, and so we kicked off this whole series with this idea of making a messy church, and messy church is what you get 
when you stop pretending. And we talked about the importance of stop pretending because you can't hide and heal at the same time. And then Corey came up the following week and talked to us about the messiness of sacrifice and how sacrifice is messy because it always comes at a cost. And then last week for our Easter message, I talked about the messiness of forgiveness and how our faith, if it's not rooted in forgiveness, is futile. But today what we're going to talk about is how God can turn our personal mess into a ministry. And so I have a friend of mine that's flown up here from Arizona um, with her husband, Jesse. And so, Sarah, I'll go ahead and invite you up to the stage. Can we just give it up for Sarah for coming to be with us this morning? Sarah and Jesse are friends of both mine and my wife, Emily, and uh, we got to know them really well. Uh, When we were down in Arizona, Emily and I were leading a marriage-focused small group, and they were a part of it. And so with time, um, we got to know Sarah and both Jesse a little bit better, and Sarah started to tell us about her messy story. And so I invited her to come up and said, would you just be willing to share that with our church? Because I think what you're willing to share is what a lot of us need to hear, because we need to hear how God can turn our mess, because we all have one into a personal ministry. And so with that being said, Sarah, thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for being here and being a part of this. And, um, you know, it's probably a little bit better weather here than Arizona. How hot is it in Arizona? Oh, my gosh, 94 degrees. Yeah, already in April, yeah. You can move here. It's pretty cold here. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty cold when we landed. Yeah, Yeah. so we're excited to have you up here. And, again, just thankful for the courage that you bring to the table to talk about, you know, your messy story, but how God got a hold hold of it at some point in time and turned it into a ministry. So I'm going to stop talking for a second. Just give us a flyover. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your story, and then uh, we'll go from there. All right. Um, So just starting, um, I'm just going to start back from childhood. Uh, Growing up, just memories that I have when I reflect now on my childhood, it just, I felt like memories of, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of support there with my mom and dad. Um, A lot of unloved, uh, just an unloving environment, um, neglect, neglect. you know, and even with that, being in an environment like that, I just felt like at a young age, I just never wanted to be home. It wasn't, you know, that home sweet home that I feel every child should have, you know. Um, at the age of 10, I was sexually abused. And um, and looking back now, I know that um, that was where that root started of shame, of, um, you know, not being good enough, not being smart enough, uh, fear, um, just all those things that I think Satan lies to us about uh, because of that abuse, I really uh, know that it took root when I was at a young age of 10. Yeah, we actually talked about this idea of these roots that are planted in our lives several weeks back, and we talked about how when we're on the other side of a wound that someone does to us, and it's not you know anything that God wants anything to do with because it's rooted in a sin, and if it's rooted in a sin, then it, what it wasn't of God. That should be very clear to all of us. And so what happens is that root gets put in our life and it begins to grow and feed us lies as we grow. Things like self-worth and fear and all these things that start, like like you're speaking to us about right now that you started to experience. Right, and even, I mean, I just even realized I just had such low self-esteem, you know, even even growing up. Um, You know, at the age of of 14, uh, I just find myself being with the first guy that really would, you know, pay any attention to me because I didn't know what love was. Um, you know, so, and even in that relationship, he was very abusive, but he came from a family line where his family was abusive. So that's really what he knew, you know, yeah, hurt people, hurt people at a young age. And, um, at the age of 16, my parents ended up divorced 
and um, and I was pregnant uh, with this guy's child. And um, just during that time, it was just kind of like a limbo time. Okay, my parents are divorcing. Where am I going to go? You know, he's invited me to live with him and his family, so that's kind of the direction that I went. And um, he was very physically abusive, verbally, physically, um, to the point I would have black eyes, bloody ears, mm. uh, chipped tailbone just from being kicked over and over again, just mm. very abusive. And um, after I had Janessa, our daughter, I just, you know, really felt like, uh, you know, maybe this is it. You know, we're, we're going to have a beautiful baby. Maybe the abuse will stop. Maybe, um, you know, our relationship will get better. Maybe this will be a pivotal moment, you know, but yeah. it actually didn't. It was worse. And he then began threatening my life. And I just knew at that time, like, this, this just isn't a safe place for Janessa and I. And I had to muster up that strength to leave, to just pack up our things and leave, not knowing where I'm going to go. I didn't have a lot of stability with my family life. Um, So at 18, I ended up packing and leaving. I moved back in with my mom temporarily. I got myself a job at a manufacturing company in Arizona. And it was a pretty good job. You know, I was making uh, decent money, uh, had benefits, was able to buy myself a car. So I was feeling pretty good. you know, about being the single mom and yeah. taking care of, you know, my daughter. I did drop out of high school at the age of 16. So even going into that um, was kind of a milestone for me. Again, struggling with low self-esteem, not graduating high school. Um, but during that time, um, you know, working there, I just, just from the past hurts, from the sexual abuse, from the physical abuse, the verbal abuse, I just stuffed, just stuffed all that in. You know, I didn't talk about it. I didn't deal with it because that, to me, I thought was strength. Mm. You know, I can just keep plunging through this and just not talk about it. Yeah, um, that's definitely a lie of the enemy that, that I was know you see now. Because, and maybe some of you guys can recognize that in your own life in a different way, where it's like, hey, just don't expose this. Like, yeah. don't you don't want people to know this part of you? So just push it way down somewhere deep inside. And that's probably the best thing you can do. And, and again, you, what you just said, you felt like that was something strong to do, but that was a lie of the enemy because that's yes. exactly how he was isolating you exactly. in, those, in those struggles. So. And I even saw, like, just those things, you know, manifesting in my life in other ways because yeah. it was a void that I was looking to feel, you know, whether it was alcohol, being irresponsible, staying out late with friends, um, like just all those things just started coming out in my life. And I know it's because of those past hurts yeah. um, that those things start to take, you know, took play in my life. Um, because of those choices I was making during that time, I did lose that job. Um, you know, the place that my, when I was staying with my mom was temporary, so there I was again, found myself, no place to live, no job, mm. single mom. So um, like my girlfriend at the time, she, uh, she had an apartment, and she said I could come stay with her, my daughter and I, for a little bit until I can get, you know, back on uh, my feet again. And um, she was a stripper at a uh, club in Phoenix, a, a pretty big club that was up in the Phoenix area. And she told me, she's like, hey, Sarah, you know, uh, Monday night's amateur night. First place winner is $1,000. You know, I know you don't have any money. I know you're hurting right now. I think you should, you should try it. You should go. So, of course, uh, being a young mom, early 20s, I was in survival mode. Yeah, you know, and I was in survival mode. So I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to do this. So I went, won first place that night. And I just remember thinking, like, in that moment, like, another lie from Satan, like, it gave me a sense of control. Like, hey, I can do this. You know, I can, I won. This was super easy. I'm just going to do this temporary for a few months, not yeah. tell anybody, just to get back on my feet again. Yeah. You know, and uh, 
the two months end up turning into a few years. Um, I didn't save a dime. I, um, that was probably the most darkest, darkest time of my life. Um, that's when I just felt like that lifestyle just sucked me in. The fast lifestyle, the cocaine, the alcohol, the bad relationships, all of that was who I was, yeah. addicted to drugs, not the mom that I should have been to my daughter. You know, and it, I just, it just took me in such a dark place, um, you know, that I just, I lost hope. I lost hope, but then there was just something, something in me that knew this is not the life that I want. This is not the life I want for my daughter. Yeah. You know, and earlier in the first service, one of the worship gals was singing. Her little girl was just in awe of her, watching her mom sing, and it was the sweetest thing that I, I mean, it just blessed my heart. And that was just the image I had of my daughter, Look at, like, I'm not her hero. Yeah. You know, like, my, my life is a mess. And if I don't change it, I can lose her to foster care. Mm -hmm. I could lose my life. You know, these are going to be my, if I don't change my life, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and um, I just think in that, that was kind of, I didn't know, okay, what are my steps? What do I do? I have no help. I have no support system. But I know I want to change. Um, so I end up just moving uh, way back to the West Valley um, in the Arizona area, and that was just kind of to get me away from that lifestyle. I'm thinking if I can just maybe get away from these friends, get away from these people, I can just kind of start to regroup again. So I moved in with my dad uh, temporarily, and um, he had a co-worker that he uh, was working with at the time. Her name was Irene, and um, he must have just shared with her some of uh, my journey, and he gave her my phone number. So she called me one day and just said, you know, hey, Sarah, this is Irene. I work with your dad, and, you know, I just want you to know that um, God put you on my heart today. And uh, just not growing up Christian and knowing who Jesus was, that was just the weirdest thing, yeah, you say. know, to hear someone calling, hey, God put you on my heart today, and, you know, are you free? Can we meet up? You're probably thinking like that weird, the weird Christian totally. lady on Saturday Night Live. Yes. What was her name? <laughs> Church lady, that's what her name is. Yeah. Yes, so I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> all right. She was super sweet, so... We met, um, I ended up meeting with her. We ended up going to a park and just, and just sitting down and just talking. And, you know, she just began to minister in my heart. And would be, she just spoke words into my life that I'd never heard before. My whole life I heard that I failed, that I was a terrible mom. Mm. I was a drug addict. I was irresponsible. You know, I was never going to be anything. I wasn't smart enough because I didn't graduate high school. Mm. You know, and she just, and she didn't know this. You know, and she just said, Sarah, you are smart. You are worth more than the finest rubies. You know, just what Proverbs tells us. Like, she's speaking those things into my life. And it was truth. And, and not knowing what that was, I'm like, something in that set me free. And something in that gave me hope. Wow. Because she spoke God's words into my life again. One of the things we talk about a lot around here, which is exactly what you just said, is we want to be a people that make ourselves available. Right? I mean, oftentimes, it takes very little effort on our part to be such a huge blessing in someone else's life. And so uh, this lady did exactly what we're hoping to create a culture of here at Trace. She just made herself available. She didn't I mean that, yeah, she spoke truth into your life, but ultimately it was just taking some time yeah. and saying things that she knew God already thought about you. Yeah, his yeah. truth, his word, yeah. yeah. And that night, I just, um, so that night, it was it. I'm like, okay, you know, I met with this lady. Uh, she shared Jesus with me, and um, I'm just going to give this this Jesus thing a shot. And that night, I just prayed. I got down on my knees, and I just asked God, you know, change me. 
changed my life because I've made a mess of me. I've made a mess of the mom. Like, I don't know what to do, yeah. you know. And my daughter's father was in prison. Like, I was all she had. And so that was my simple prayer. And just day by day, you know, um, I just saw what God did and just just the people he would put in my life. And that just helped me on my journey, which was incredible. It's just another person just being available, yeah. you know, and helping someone else. So I, I got, I went uh, back to school in 2004 uh, to get my real estate license. Uh, my girlfriend was in the industry, um, the real estate industry at the time, and there was a couple who was interviewing for an open house hostess. And um, she encouraged me to go meet with them, and and I did. And, um, and I remember just walking in there. I mean, I wasn't, you know, in anything professional, but they were just super sweet. I mean, not judgmental, um, just the sweetest couple. And they hired me, and just over time, I just got to know them. They asked a little bit about my story. They knew that, you know, I didn't have a stable place to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, they had an extra, almost like a little apartment suite in their house that was empty. Yeah. And they said, you know, I want you and your daughter to stay here. We're going to put you through school. We're wow. going to give you a car to drive. Um, and even during that time, it took me probably like eight to nine times where I can pass, <laughs> you know, my real estate test because it was so hard because I you struggled. Passed. You did it. I passed it. Yeah. But the whole time, they kept saying, Sarah, you can do this. Yeah. You're smart enough. You're going to be great at this. And I just soaked in those words. Yeah. You know, and 2004. I'm really thankful you did, by the way, because she helped us sell our house when we moved up yes, here from Arizona. I did. Yeah. I did. Yes. <laughs> you know, in 2004, I met my husband, Jesse, all in the same year. Um, and it's kind of interesting because... You know, I met him not knowing that one of his best friends was, um, was he like a half-brother to s- one of the relationships I was in with the cocaine and the drugs and when yeah. I was in the strip club industry. And so when I knew that, I'm like, this guy's never going to talk to me again. Mm. Like, and that's know, one thing. I mean, I have, that shame. Yeah, I have to say, I didn't say this in the first service, but um, you've just been such an incredible encourager of her. And I've been, I've been in ministry long enough to see different people's messes and how husbands have held uh, their wives' pasts over them. And so thankful that's not been your all story and that you've been such a great encourager as God has transformed and redeemed her story. And so, and well stayed. done, Jesse. Well done, yeah. yeah. And he's got big guns, too, by the way. Yeah, sorry, now he's blushing. All right. Yeah. Well, now looking back, you know, thinking about that root, like those wounds that Satan uses to speak lies to you, like what, you know, maybe even helping some of the people in here identify. They may not have your story, but they have a story, and they probably have their own wounds. Like what can you now look back on with kind of experienced wisdom, having lived beyond this and allowing God to show you that those things were not of him? And where do you see that, you know, what, what do you see Satan using in your past to feed you lies? So just the whole worth thing, like more than anything, I just want to encourage you, like whatever it is and whatever mess, whatever your past is, whether it is sexual sin, whether whatever it is, I just know the the lie Satan would tell me, you know, of not being good enough, of of not being, you know, worthy of even God's grace, you know, and that was a lie from the pit of hell. And I just want to encourage you. Um, just to not lose hope. I think that's the biggest thing is just um, not losing hope and just keep moving forward on that. You know, that's just a a daily thing, I think, for us. You know, even to this day, there's things that I struggle with, you know, that Satan will try to lie. But the difference is now is I know God's word. Yeah. You know, I know God's word. Preach it, girl. Preach it. Well, um, so now God has given you opportunity where, you know, maybe others wouldn't have it because of your messy past. 
And so uh, tell them what God is now, the different opportunities he's given you to kind of turn your mess into a, a personal ministry. So we, um, so I volunteer with a group of ladies called Cakes of Love. And what we do is we go into strip clubs once a month and we just um, bring these girls cupcakes, gifts, you know, whatever it is for the month. And, um, you know, we don't go in there handing them Bibles or preaching to them, but just really just as friends and just as women who want to just encourage other women um, you know, just that we're there. We're a resource. Yeah. We, uh, Jesse and I partner with another ministry called Fresh Start for Women, and it's phenomenal with what they're doing. Because um, even for me, going into real estate, I had no life skills of budgeting, you know, computers, just basic life skills. And this organization actually has the program structure that they're doing this for women. Awesome. You know, just like this couple did for me for real estate, this ministry is doing this for women. It's incredible. That's yeah. so cool. Just like um, you had a couple people in your life that became really pivotal moments for you to change and go a different direction, and now you're becoming that for others. And so uh, can we give it up for Sarah and her story and her courage to get up here and share with us? Thank you so much. The reason I'm so passionate about these kind of stories is because it's also my story. Um, now, I don't have the same story as Sarah. That would be awkward. But um, I do have a messy past. I do have a messy past. And so what I bring with me as the lead pastor of this church is two DUIs, possession of marijuana, drug paraphernalia, concealed deadly weapon, attempt to elude an officer, possession of alcohol as a minor, trespassing, all by the age of 19. And so when I was in college, I ended up in jail with my second DUI, and that was a pivotal moment for me. But it still took another individual making himself available which I had never had happen in my life, and speaking into my life, he became my pivotal moment. His name was John Edwards. He's not the politician. I'm always clear about that. Uh, but John just made himself available, and he, and he saw something in me, and he, and he helped me to root out those lies, those lies that maybe some of you hear but in a different context, which is like, it's too late for you. Oh, but they don't know your story because your story could never be redeemed. I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how far gone you feel, how far away from the grace of God that you feel, you're never too far gone. The different way that I would say it is this, and somebody needs to hear, hear this this morning. Put this on your social media account. Don't let Satan steal your story, but let the Spirit of God transform it. Let me say it one more time. Do not let Satan steal your story, but let the Spirit of God transform it. I want to read a couple passages to you that hopefully will be an encouragement this morning. And some of you in here maybe even believe all that, but you just don't have the strength. Here's what I would encourage you with. At one point in his life, the Apostle Paul went to God several times, and he was just saying, God, would you take this away from me? And they call it in the scriptures, we read it as his thorn in his side, the thorn in his flesh. Some people think it was blindness from Paul. We really don't know. And so Paul's going to God over and over again. And then he kept getting this answer. Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And then Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I can speak from this with passion and conviction because in my lowest moments, I saw God's glory more than any other time in my life. I know some of you have been there as well. So no matter how weak that you feel in the, in the moment of where, where you just feel like you've messed things up, 
I pray that God speaks to you, maybe through this passage or through Sarah's story or my story or someone else's story, where it doesn't matter how weak you feel, no matter how dark of a pit that you're in, that's where God does his best work. I want to encourage you from Romans 8 as well this morning where it says this, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And Christ lives within you, so even through your body, will die because of sin. The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. And then a couple verses down, one of the most encouraging promises in all of God's Word, we read in Romans 8, 28. And now we know And now we know that God causes everything, everybody say everything, everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Meaning you can't be too far from God for him to redeem your story. You can't be too broken. You can't be too jacked up and messed up. Your sin cannot be too great for God to still extend his grace to you and take your story that Satan is trying to steal and redeem it through his spirit. I'm here because that kind of power exists. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to invite Corey to come up and and lead us through a time of response. And I think there's several action steps that could be taken from us today. Maybe you're encouraged by Sarah. Maybe you've been holding on to you know, different pain and brokenness that you've never felt comfortable to reveal. If you don't share your junk here, share it somewhere. Share it with someone. Allow that stuff to get out so that you don't. what happened to Sarah and even what happened to me and what's happened to many others doesn't happen to you where the enemy isolates you and says, man, but they don't know your junk. Because your junk should always be just pushed down and left alone. You need to stay isolated with your junk because it's, it's much worse than everyone else's. It's a lie. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to just spend some time with God this morning. And I don't know what your response looks like, but I think there's several ways for us to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Sarah. Thank you for her courage. Thank you for her willingness to expose some of the parts of her life that you know aren't the most attractive, the parts of her story that sometimes we just want to leave them alone. But God, you have shown her that by bringing those to your feet, by bringing those to your table, that you'll take them and redeem them, and then you'll actually turn them into something beautiful, just like what you're doing in and through her life now. She's ministering to other women who have made the same mistakes that she made in her past. Father, I pray that you give us courage to share our own brokenness somewhere. I get that not every place is safe. I hope this place called Trace is safe. I hope we create a safe environment here where people really do feel like they can expose their past hurts and wounds. And God, would you continue to remind us that there is an enemy who wants to steal our story, but you want to redeem it through the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.